This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. All right, big hour coming up. Kelly Gramlich, 8.30, 9 o'clock hour. Slam. Nina King, Roy Williams, Amaka. Uh, coach Mox. Agugua Hamilton, the you new women's coach at Virginia, will join us. You but we it. kick off the 8 o'clock hour, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Seth Greenberg. Oh, Good morning, boys. We're What's remote. happening? What's happening? So, we are uh, remote. I'm in Philadelphia getting ready to interview Jay Wright. All right, that's cool. By the way, I see you got dry cleaning sent in. That's good. You need to really get your A game up. You're going to interview Jay Wright. No, now. that's just no a plastic. That's just like that's just a plastic bag. I kind of was told I had this assignment at three o'clock and left at three thirty. Okay, fair enough. Uh, by the way, congratulations. Set, four, four hour drive. You got that? Ain't no big deal. You're hey. Yeah. It's like a, a recruiting like trip. That's exactly right. <laughs> this is appearance 46 for you. I mean, it's a piece of cake. Um, all right. <laughs> Seth, it's all about blue bloods, isn't it? I mean, goodness gracious. This is my kind of Final Four. I like it when the big boys show up, and that's exactly what we've got coming up this weekend in New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, actually, one of the questions I'm going to ask Jay Wright today is, do they perceive themselves as a blue blood? And then when he says no, I'm going to say, Jay, uh, you have a chance to win your third national championship in six years. But you, know, you talk about Kansas, you know, Duke, Carolina, Villanova. I mean, those three are the most tradition-rich programs in the history of college basketball. And when you talk about, obviously, Duke and Carolina, great for the ACC Network, by the way, uh, but – playing each other for the first time ever. And, you know, it's funny that people can't fathom or put their arms around that. But, you know, for years and years and years, only one team from the ACC got into the NCAA tournament. And then when they did get more than one team in, uh, because of the way things are seated and because of the respect for the leagues, you usually put in different pods. So you'd have to get to the Final Four in the same year, which is not an easy thing to do. But uh, both journeys have been really remarkable, quite honestly. I mean, think about how Hubert started his season. Uh, couldn't finish off a game, got punched in the face and kind of backed down and now where they are now. And then think about Duke, how they played, you know, in the last home game, Coach K's senior night and then at the end of the ACC tournament. And yet here they are playing their best basketball of the season. Seth, we've, uh, we, we're going to, by the time we get to Saturday night, we will have cracked the <laughs> shell on this game, opened it up, poured it all over the table and tried to put it back in the shell, right? Um, so I'm trying to ease my way to Saturday. It, based on the two regular season meetings, are there two things, one thing per school that really can come into play Saturday night in your mind that we can talk about on Tuesday in kind of a sweeping thought? Yeah, in a big picture, and you know, I'm actually been breaking down that game. I mean, like, look, the game at Carolina, all right? Let's say UNC threw it all over the place, and A.J. Griffin went off. Well, right. you know, the second game, Leaky Black shut down A.J. Griffin. And, you know, North Carolina did a better job taking care of the basketball. For you, North Carolina, you you got to take care of the basketball. you got to have good shot selection because if not, Duke's going to be out in transition, play ahead of your defense, and that's not a good thing. And then, you know, A.J. Griffin's a guy that can get going. I thought the matchup on Leaky Black, I thought he was going to go on Paul Bancaro. I think Maddox did a pretty good job on Bancaro in that moment in time. So uh, I think that, you know, taking – out A.J. Griffin, who can get it going, obviously, at 27 in that first game. It was absolutely terrific. And then for Duke, I mean, the second game, they got crushed on that middle ball screen. I mean, they didn't get beat. They got crushed on that middle ball screen where they would 
set the ball screen on Baycock and Maddock would set the back screen. They'd roll him down and Maddock would pop and knock down a three or they'd kind of elongate the play and, you know, keep it alive and throw it to Baycott or every once in a while they flared Maddock out to the – so they got to do that, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's no doubt about that's got to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think the other thing is contain Bree Duke. you got to contain Baycock because the way he's playing is absolutely ridiculous. And the last thing which I, you know, just in my mind last night I'm starting to think about the game is, you know, if you're Carolina, you got you got to bring Williams away from the basket. Mm-hmm. You got to bring because, like, it's not not the four shot blocks, and he's playing great. You know, everyone's talking about Bacon. I I actually think Williams is the best big left in the tournament in terms of what he impacts offensively and defensively. But if you allow Williams to play at the at the restricted area on down and contest shots and block shots, uh, that's a problem because he changes as many as he blocks. Uh, the job Hubert Davis has done, we'll go to both coaches. I mean, we know about Krzyzewski, but the, the Hubert Davis journey this year, uh, Seth, has really been fascinating. Is, I mean, listen, anytime you take that one step over from this chair to the next chair, much less at a place like the University of North Carolina uh, where basketball is king, um, and, and to get off to a rocky start and to have people in the middle of January going, hey, you know what, they're not even an NCAA tournament team. Uh, that is hard to do what he's pulled off and his kids have pulled off when everybody's kind of scrutinizing everything you do. You've had some ugly losses, but to find it and turn it around and to win it, Duke. And, you know, I, I think back to, you know, Caleb Love making a big three against Syracuse, where if he doesn't make that shot, they yeah. lose that game. And I don't know if they're in the tournament, I'll be honest with you. They lose into Pittsburgh, the game that Wes called. And you're like, good God, this is ugly. And then you win at Cameron and you get on a run. I mean, it's really been remarkable the job Hubert Davis and his team and staff have done here. I, Pac, I agree with you 100%. I think the hardest thing to do as a coach is when things go a little bit south, focus on, on the task at hand. Focus on today. Put good days on top of each other. Stay the course. I mean, it sounds all cliche but you know what? Hubert dealt with what was in front of him. What was in front of him was his team. What was in front of him was basically trying to get better. What was in front of him is trying to say, all right, all right, what band-aids do we have to put on? We got to get tougher. We got to get more competitive. Hey, the move to move R.J. Davis on the ball and Caleb Love off the ball was not brilliant. It was past brilliant because now all of a sudden Caleb Love can do what he does well when he gets advanced passes. He can go off and do what he does, like 27 points in the second half, obviously against UCLA. But R.J. Davis can do what he does best, get downhill, make plays, distribute. And then in a lot of ways, by putting the ball in R.J. Davis's hand, he became the leader of that team. And, and they, I, I'm not sure they lack – I think they lack the leader. But the real leader of that team, this was a lesson in leadership by Hubert Davis. Adversity reveals character. Uh, and, like, facing that adversity, all he did was worry about what he could control. He controlled his controllables, his team. All right, he put band-aids on the issues. They're only giving up 66 points a game the last 11 games. 66 points a game. Think about, you know, absolutely getting run at the Mohegan Sun. Think about the bad losses they had. They got better defensively. Their flow offensively got better. Their spacing got better. Baycott was established. He was empowered. R.J. Davis was making plays for others. They were getting to the glass again. They were playing in transition again. Uh, They were playing with confidence. The the great thing is they never lost their confidence. He -hmm. empowered them in a way that he got them to believe and fix the things they were doing wrong, but continue to empower them. It was a lesson in leadership. I mean, you know, I've, I, I told our guys, uh, you know, we can talk about the players and the players are the ones that have to make the plays. But things were going south, 
and they were and when you're in North Carolina and you're losing those games and you're losing that pit game, all right, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. And some people, you know what, would have gotten sidetracked. He has enough faith in himself and what he was doing and how he was doing it and his staff that he was able to keep his team together. It was an incredible lesson in leadership. All right, so I want to counter to that comment by asking you this. In some ways, we're kind of back to square, though. Here is Duke. This is the end of the road, as it says on the floor, right? So there's one or two left, and that is it. How does Duke keep playing the way Duke has played on the road to the Final Four without thinking about the finality of it? Because when the finality comes into play, like it did at Cameron, Seth, Ooh, things, don't, things don't go well. So how does Mike Krzyzewski, on all the 42 years of brilliance, get his team to forget about the finality on Saturday night? That's his challenge. And I, I think it's a really hard challenge because let's, let's, let's face it. I mean, we're coming into this game. What are we going to hear about? We're going to hear about, you know, how Carolina basically ruined Coach K's senior night. We're going to hear about, you know, the loss in the ACC tournament. We're going to hear about the handshake. We're going to hear about all the things in the past. What they've done, Duke, in the NCAA tournament, like every other team now, every other team goes through this. Every other team, you're 40 minutes away from your season being over. But Duke's obviously 40 minutes away from the season being over and Coach K's career being over. Um, I think they've done a great job of about being the team, the team, the team, the team. It hasn't been about Coach K in the NCAA tournament. They've been focused at the task at hand. All right, Coach K's done a brilliant job to switch to the zone. They've played 37 possessions of zone in the NCAA tournament. They only played like 100, and, 100 prior to that. Mm-hmm. So throwing the curveball, I mean, I thought he's done a great job mixing up his lineups. Obviously, the move with, like, if you talk about R.J. Davis on one side, the move of Jeremy Roach as their point guard, playing 35 minutes a game in the NCAA tournament, has been masterful. It's been masterful. Better ball pressure, a quicker player, gets downhill, gets some easy baskets, get a pen penetration, finds Williams in the dunker spot. Having said all that, when they get to New Orleans, it's still about Coach K. And if it gets to be about Coach K, it's going to hurt Duke because whether you realize that, oh, we had a great practice, we had a great walkthrough, we had a great this, we had a great that. They had all those great things before the last game of Cameron. Then they looked up in the stands, they saw those 90 former players, and everything changed. They saw the pregame ceremony, everything changed. So, I mean, compartmentalizing. Now, I'm sure that Coach K is basically – taking his team and isolating his team away from it, which, again, is it, it, might, it might be different. Now, he's the greatest motivator in the history of college basketball. Right. No one creates a cause better than Coach K. I mean, you think about all the crazy things that he's done in his coaching career. It's, all right? Write your, name on the, write your name on the floor. Turn off the lights. I mean, you, you've heard the whole start a soccer player. Here's the deal. So here's his cause. The cause should be we're going to win a national championship. We're going to win a national championship. If the cause becomes – senior night, which is going to be talked about. If the cause is going to become all those other things, the pressure is greater. Now, how does he deal with that? How does he present that to his team? How do they digest that? I think that's the challenge. Where, like, Hubert's playing on house money. Here's the funny thing. You guys can appreciate it because you guys live it. I mean, you guys grew up in it. So, Carolina ruins Coach K's senior night. Right. They feel pretty good about themselves. You know, I mean, that's like, you know, that's of all the things you can do, you know, with the Carolina Duke rivalry, that's a pretty good one, right? Yeah. Your reward for going to the Final Four, you give Duke another shot to ruin your summer. 
Yeah, but I think that, I mean, you know, Seth, I think that to me is one of the things. If I'm a Duke player, I can't wait to play Carolina. I, I thank sure. God we get to see them again. I, you know, you're talking about all the psychological part of it. I think Duke is in anticipation of, hey, you know what? These guys did ruin our party, and now we got an invite to return the favor. Uh, so I think from a Duke perspective, and, yeah. you know, whoever wins this game, whoever it is, Guess what? If it's Duke, since that's what our topic is, hey, there is only one more game. I mean, so it. it yeah. I think sometimes maybe the finale. Yeah, right. I mean, so I think sometimes maybe the finale works to their advantage in some respects in that standpoint. That hey, a lot of folks didn't think we would get to this game after what happened at Cameron, yeah. and, you know, getting smacked around by Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I've, we've seen kind of a different Duke vibe, and I think this goes back to Coach K and his yeah, staff. I agree that. You know, the greats have this ability to adapt, don't they, Seth? And, and again, you live this oh, life. Oh, yeah, he has the greatest agility. Right. I mean, you know, you see with Nick Saban in football, right? We play a certain way, all of a sudden, hey, the game's changing, let me adapt. The greats have this ability to go, I see where it's coming, let me get in front of the parade. And I think Coach K's done that in the month of March. After everything that took place at the Cameron night, and he even said, I saw him on an interview the other day talk about, you know, I learned a lesson that night, and I adapted my team. And you know what? It is shows on the way they play. They, they, there's a different vibe about Duke when you watch them play right now. Let me ask you guys a question, because you guys have been around. I coached in the league, but you guys have been around for your whole life. Do you think in, in a lot of ways, which is a lot of years, but I don't want to say it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, do, do, you th- do you think that if you go to Duke, and I, I asked Bill this the other day, your season, because even with the one-and-done guys, and they're not that young because they're playing three they're, – they're three, three of their starters are veteran players. But but if you go to Duke, your season doesn't start in, in earnest until the NCAA tournament because you go to Duke to get to the Final Four and win national championships. And so everything that happened before was hors d'oeuvres. What, 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 you, what you were doing before was just getting you ready to get to where, you're, where you wanted to be, get to the tournament – get to the Final Four, win the national championship. Because the great teams at Duke, their legacy is left behind, and they're evaluated not by making the NCAA tournament, but by getting to the Final Four and hanging that Final Four banner and hanging national championship banners. Do you guys – like, Bill, he wasn't totally bought in on it, but I'm, I'm interested in what you, what you guys thought. Because I, I really think that, obviously, NCAA tournament, everyone's one and done. It's different at Duke because the expectation is different. You know, I think what you're trying to say, Seth, is that the Final Four is the main course. And I think of New Orleans, I think of great steakhouses. And I think of, man, what a golden opportunity it is for a guy like, I don't know, yourself, (laughs) to to finally pay off a bet that's four years old. So that's how I would answer your question. Oh, my God. Well, I'd love to do that, but we're not going until the championship game. I I know the ACC Network's going – on Thursday, but we're 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 doing our shows from Bristol. I'll leave so when, it. At that. So when do you get to New Orleans? <laughs> Sunday with the lovely Karen Greenberg. So I mean, if if you can find a Sunday, uh, you know, we'll find a way to get, right. get your biscuit. That, well, that's, okay. That's <laughs> why don't you look up? The, why don't you look up yeah. the reservation, Seth? Villanova, Kansas. Very quickly, a thought on that because somebody's coming from Carolina Duke to play that other team on Monday night. And I got to tell you, the Justin Moore injury, uh, God bless him. But Kansas, oh, 
Break Holy smokes now. KU, I'm not sure anybody wants a piece of them right now after the last 20 minutes they just showed us. Well, I think Kansas and Villanova are sitting there. All right, you two guys over there, you go beat the crap out of each other. All right, because I mean, the emotions in it. And, and whoever wins, we'll be waiting for you. Because, right. I mean, let's face it. I mean, look, look, Duke Carolina is an event in itself. It's going to be the highest rated game ever on TBS probably. It, it, it's a standalone uh, event aside from the Final Four. It really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just – I mean, it defines the game during the season. Now it's defining a game to compete for a national championship. I mean, right. think about that. Look, look, if, if Nova can control the tempo of the game, not turn it over, all right, um, yeah. they're going to guard. Caleb Daniels will step in. And, uh, look, he's not Justin Moore. Justin Moore was the best perimeter defender. He can you know, second-leading scorer, uh, helps him rebound the ball. Here's the problem they have. 78% of their bench minutes, you know who played those? Caleb Daniels. Who? So Brian Antoine or or Chris Archidiakono, yeah. they're going to have to step up and give them give them ten minutes, and then they've got to stay out of foul trouble. On the other end, everyone's talking about Remy Martin, and Remy Martin was very good. He's been very very good, but they also need to keep that flow that they had during the season when Remy's on. So he can't be so ball dominant that you know he's overly aggressive. I call it being selectively aggressive. The key to to, to Kansas is their defense. In the second half, the first yeah. half, and I've been talking to Bill all season long. Bill says our ability to guard the ball is not where it needs to be. In the first half, obviously, saw that against Miami. In the second half, their ability to defend the ball, like the great defensive teams, if you're a really good defensive team, you can defend the ball one-on-one. You, can, you need help. You need guys in gaps and help and recover and show, and you need to shrink the court at times and get off the help. But if you're always – in rotation, if you're always having to overhelp, if you have to help has to be too early, then all of a sudden your defense is is basically put at a disadvantage. In the first half, Miami put them at a disadvantage. Second half, Miami shot it on the first side, kind of got panicked when they started turning it over. What an amazing year they had. Just incredible year. But if they guard the way they did in the second half, I mean, they're deeper. They're the deepest team in a lot of ways. And, uh, and, they can be the most dynamic in terms of flowing, but uh, I think I think if the game's in the sixties, I think Villanova's got a legitimate shot at winning the game. If it gets into the seventies, I don't think they have any shot. All right. Uh, Sunday night, Pack. What do you find? Are you Working ready? Working on it. Working on it. Seth, we'll be in touch. Our people will be in touch with your people Sunday night. Wait, wait, hey, wait, wait, wait. How did you get into this conversation? I didn't. I just I'm the mediator here. Are you just taking are you just taking pictures? Andrew Brooks and I are Switzerland. That's all we are, Switzerland. We're just mediators in this association. (laughs) Hey hey, Greenberg, let me tell you something. Uh, there's about 20 people that yeah. have now jumped on your tab yeah, because Katzman, this thing is just <laughs> on a growing tab. interest yeah. after four years. Yeah, there's so many people want to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, just a cocktail. I'll be there for an adorable, yeah. uh, just an appetizer. Come by for you, an expensive red, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. They're Katzman, to, Brooks, that, Durham, that, they're, they're associates in this yeah, endeavor. Yeah. We yeah. look forward to meeting your wife. Yeah, my Hopefully wife only drinks expensive reds. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my wife only drinks expensive reds, hey, unfortunately. By the way, a lot of Wake Forest people have just chimed in they really appreciate you referring to Patrick Davidson without actually naming him earlier in this interview. They're very excited that you wanted to talk about a Duke weight game from, you know, 17 years ago or so. Thank you very much. 
Appreciate that. Anything I, anything hey. I can do. By the way, uh, my man Forbes, he's coming on today at our halftimes of the, of the NIT games. We needed some entertainment, so we went, we went to the bullpen. We got to get Forbes in the game day show, too, because <laughs> I mean, there's, and there's one coach in the ACC that will tell it like it is yeah. and will not sugarcoat it. Yeah, I can't pre- it's my boy Forbes. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. Hey, tell Jay Wright we said hello. Tell Jay hello. See you soon. I'm going to tell him put on a suit, the, the half zip. But even, I mean, come on, put on a suit, Jay. It's the champ. It's fun. Ladies fun. and gentlemen, you know him, you love him. You can't do a week of basketball without Seth Greenberg on Packer and Durham. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. See you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. It. More by the numbers. Duke Carolina when uh, Packer and Durham on a Tuesday continue. Uh, Tar Heels and Blue Devils. Saturday night. It's only Tuesday, Pac. It's only Tuesday. Pace yourself. Pace yourself, kids. We're back after this on ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. ACC Baseball. Saturday night, 6 o'clock. Take you down to Doug Kingsmore Stadium, Tigertown, America, NC State, Clemson. Elliott Avent and Monty Lee in the middle of a three-game set. We've got coverage for you right here on ACC Network, streaming live on the ESPN app. Tigers got off to a blistering start and have really been struggling lately. And NC State struggled for a while, and they're starting to get hot after a sweep of Georgia Tech. Uh huh. There you have it, right? Kelly Gramlich coming up in minutes, and I do mean minutes. Quick check of this. We showed you this an hour ago, and I want to. I want you just to take this in now. Here are the uh, final season as Division One head coaches. Look at the list of guys that reached the Final Four with only two winning the national title. But look at the ACC flavor in the last four, including or last three, including Mike Shishovsky. Is that not? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, and on top of that, you know, look who they beat. Al McGuire beat Dean Smith at right. Carolina. UCLA. 7 in Atlanta. They beat Louisville. John Wooden beat Denny Crum that night at San Diego. That's right. John Oldham, George Smith, and Pac's favorite, Elmer Gross, Penn Love State. Love Elmer Gross. 1954. Uh, how about first-year first head coaches who reached the Final Four? Look at this list. Oh, wait a second. Last two Carolina guys, Hubert Davis, obviously this year, and – 24 years ago, Bill Guthridge, and then Steve Fisher of Michigan, who was the interim, not yet the permanent head coach, won the national title because Bo Schembechler wanted a Michigan man coaching Michigan, not some guy coaching Arizona State. Brooks, Larry Brown, UCLA, uh, reached the Final Four and, of course, lost to the Doctors of Dunk, right, at Market Square Arena. Bill Hodges, First year at Indiana State. How'd it go? We went undefeated until we got to the end and lost to Judd Heathcote and Magic Johnson. What a game that was. Highest rated TV game ever for the Final Four Championship. And, huh, semifinal Saturday night, cable property. CBS has the game, not CBS. TBS. Which means the executives at CBS are still throwing up all over themselves, thinking, are you kidding me? We have this agreement with TBS. <laughs> Is that what they're doing? They are throwing up. Yeah, they're in okay. the fetal position in the corner of the room. <laughs> in, in New York. Knowing that we could have had Duke, North Carolina in prime time on CBS, but yet TBS at, gets it. At the Rock, West 52nd Street. Is that they what they're doing? doing today? Yeah. Under, they're in the fetal position in the corner of the room throwing up. With the Hart Schaffner Mark suits on. Whatever. Yeah, gotcha. How about that? All right. 
When we come back, <laughs> Kelly Gramlich joins us. Oh, heartbreak for the Wolfpack. Celebration for the cards. One moves on, and one, unfortunately, goes back to campus. We will talk to KG next. Packer and Durham continues on a Tuesday. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham on a Tuesday. Appreciate Seth Greenberg eating up most of the hour, saving time for our next guest, which <laughs> is Kelly Gramlich, making hour. her 19th appearance <laughs> on the program uh, from the comfort of home. Oh, man. Let's go to GVL, shall we? There we are. Kelly Gramlich joins Packer and Durham. Um, we got several things to cover here. Uh, just give us thoughts on NC State UConn and Louisville, Michigan last night. I mean, State UConn delivered. Landscape of the game aside, Kelly, that was a terrific basketball game and a heartbreaker for the Wolfpack. Yeah, let's start with that game. And I would have to go back and look at the Elite Eight games of the past. That was the first ever double overtime Elite Eight game. I think it's the greatest Elite Eight game that we've seen in, mm. in with the women's tournament history. It was it is one of the greatest games we've seen, period, in the history of the women's tournament. It was exceptional. And I was so into that game. I mean, my neighbors probably were thinking, what's going on over there? The yelling and screaming. And I think so many people got to see women's basketball on the biggest stage last night. And it was an incredible showcase for the game. But let's talk about NC State. They left it all out there. They played really well, especially after that first quarter. I thought the first quarter, they were settling in a bit. But the clutch shots at the end, the Jakia Brown-Turner shot was unbelievable real to send it to double overtime the one thing you could look at and I know Westmore said this that he wishes he could have called another timeout at that end of regulation play where they didn't get a good look and in my mind when that game goes to overtime I'm thinking well Nelson Adota the five player for UConn has four fouls this could be a good thing somehow she still had four fouls and will have four fouls perhaps for the rest of her life and never pick up that fifth so that wasn't a good sign for NC State but you're playing in Bridgeport. You're playing in front of, if there's 10,000 people there, what, 9,500 UConn yeah. fans. And it's just incredibly unfortunate that it had to happen that way. NC State's a one seed. They earned it. They should have earned a better draw. And I get that the regional sites were preset. I get that you want to send UConn there because the tickets are sold. I get all that. But that still doesn't mean it's fair. And it, it wasn't fair to NC State, and I hate it for them because this team, and I tweeted this out last night, this NC State team, even without a Final Four appearance, this is one of the best teams that we've seen in the history of ACC women's hoops, and they should be very proud of their season, their legacy. Elisa Kunane's jersey is going to be in the rafters and Reynolds. Like it, it, That doesn't change anything, but I just am heartbroken for this team because they were good enough to make a Final Four. They just got perhaps the worst draw for a one seed in the history of the tournament. Yeah. And the flip side is, uh, to switch gears on a positive note, um, is Louisville, right? 17-7, run in the fourth quarter. And, and let me tell you something. If they get a shot right now of my puppy dog, Chester, every time <laughs> Haley Van List's name oh, is mentioned, gosh. he goes into full mode of praying to the puppy gods because <laughs> that is his girl. He loves a little Haley Van List. And how good has she been in this tournament? She has been so locked in and so lights out. She has scored 20 
or more in every single tournament game so far for Louisville. She's the first Louisville player to ever do that, and there's been some incredible players that have played at Louisville. She has been on a tear, and I just feel like since, and we talked about her numbers since February 1st, she's averaging 18 points per game, and she's just been so good, but there's a different level of aggression in her eyes. I I have not seen a player, and maybe someone else can point out a different player that would rival this, but I don't know many players that play as hard as Haley Van Litt does. You could see at the end of that game, the celebration, it was a little overwhelming for her, but you could also see she was flat out exhausted because she's playing so freaking hard for this team and trying to will them to a Final Four. On a night where Emily Engsler did not play that well offensively, they needed every bucket from HVL and Chelsea Hall. But also shout out to Engsler because even when she couldn't buy a bucket, she had 16 of Louisville's 30 rebounds and they needed every rebound because Michigan's a great rebounding team. They forced turnovers. They had some chances to put uh, to put Michigan away. Michigan hung around and credit to them. Nas Hillman's a great player, but in the end, Louisville's going to their fourth Final Four, and this team is so deserving, and I can't wait to see what they do in that matchup against South Carolina, guys. I think it's low-key a pretty good matchup for the Cards. Okay, that's where I was going next because we could spend – Aaliyah Boston's unbelievable. I mean, after oh. watching the the ball games the other day, she's – I mean, the, the ability to pivot and move around the block the way she does and yet control like a man and a half, if you will, defensively, uh, every time down the floor just seems kind of unique to her. So where does Louisville start at trying to beat the number one overall seed? Well, it starts with Leah Boston. I mean, it has to. I, I think she – and I like that we haven't given out the Naismith Player of the Year yet because we take into account some of the postseason, and I think that's fair because mm-hmm. the postseason is what matters. And Aaliyah Boston, to me, has solidified herself as the National Player of the Year in the postseason. She's been just so dominant. So – what do you do? Well, the good news for Louisville is they have two bigs that they can rotate in and out who are both very skilled and good defenders. And Olivia Cochran, who played really well last night, and Liz Dixon, both 6'5". You got 10 fouls there that you can work with. Plus, you have Emily Inksler, who can guard almost anyone and I think at times will have to guard Boston. Now, you don't want her guarding Boston the whole game, but that's three really good defenders that you can use as a part of your game plan try to slow down Aaliyah Boston. I think Louisville wants to make this game an absolute rock fight. They want to make a low scoring. South Carolina has shot the three ball better as of late. Destiny Henderson's been really good, so that's got to be a concern. But I think this style, both teams play a similar style. It's not like South Carolina's going to go score 80. Louisville doesn't really want to score 80. They want to play this game in the 50s and 60s. And Knowing this Louisville team, if you saw those comments from HBL last night, which we can't play on television necessarily, uh, <laughs> they ain't scared. Right. They are not. And I think that's very obvious from this Louisville team. You know, on the men's side, we see Bill Self and Jay Wright making their fourth appearance in the Final Fours. Now we see Jeff Waltz doing the same thing yeah. on the women's side. And every four-year player at Louisville has now experienced the Final Four trip. Uh, that is not the finish line for this program. And it's also a testament to what a great job he's done since he's gotten at Louisville. A hundred percent pack. And what blows me away about Jeff Walls is he had Dana Evans last year. She's a two-time ACC player of the year. She was one of the better players in ACC history. He lost her to the WNBA. She goes on and wins a title with Chicago. And somehow they're better. Like, how does that happen? 
How does that happen? There, coaches should not be able to do that. Part of it is using the transfer portal to your advantage, which, look, the transfer portal is a part of the game now. You have to be able to utilize it. Going yeah. and getting Emily Miller, who has been the most impactful transfer in the country, was huge. And then how Jeff Walls adapted. They played a much more defensive style. They pressed more. They changed their offense. It's more dribble drive, less ball screen. A lot of ball screens for Dana. They're not using that as much. So I'm just so impressed by the adjustments he's made. And I always go back to the Jeff Walls quote that he had before the season. I think it was at Media Day where someone asked, you know, how do you adapt after Dana? And he goes, look, I don't have a system. My system is winning. My system is to win. And I'm going to adapt my roster in the best way to win. And that's what we've seen from Jeff Walls. And Chelsea Hall, I can't forget about her. She has been a big-time transfer addition, and she played great last night too. Uh, Kelly, Nina King's going to be with us here in about 20 minutes. Uh, We're going to talk to her, obviously, about Duke's trip to New Orleans, but also her role as the chairwoman of the NCAA Division I Women's Basketball Committee and kind of where this tournament is. I'll ask you as a former player and now somebody that watches this sport closely, same question I asked Muffet McGraw yesterday. What have you seen in terms of the equality with the men's tournament outside of the branding and the floors and things like that? And what do you think the next step is in terms of that equality with the men's game? Well, I think it's come a long way. And I have been really pleased to see the steps that have been made. Seeing March Madness in the middle of the floor is huge. I think our company has done an amazing job putting these games on ESPN and ABC, putting quite a few games at the beginning of the tournament on ABC, which is huge. Putting a game like this on ESPN on a Monday night at 7 o'clock, the UConn-NC State game, when nothing else is on and, and people can tune in, that's been great. The, and this, there are two things that I think really could we could add to make it a little better. And this is something I haven't heard many people say, but I would love to see the NCAA tournament, the women's side, be uh, counterbalanced with the men by two days. So right now we just have the one day where you don't have men's hoops and you have women's hoops like last night. I think if we added that one more day where every Elite Eight game is kind of standalone, where you're playing Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I think that would be great. Um, But, you know, I'm not in charge of programming. Um, But I would love to see that. And then the other thing is, and this is going to come, is the women's tournament being able to negotiate by itself as its own entity. Right now, the NCAA negotiates with ESPN and, and they signed a deal that includes the women's tournament along with field hockey and fencing and volleyball and all that stuff. I think the women's tournament has proven its value to where it needs to be um, bought and sold as its own entity, and therefore the payout will be bigger for the teams and the schools. But those are my two things. Other than that, I mean, I I like to look at this from a from a more uh, grateful side. I, I think it's come a long way, and I've been honestly pretty darn pleased with what we've seen so far this tournament. And I think this final four is just going to deliver because we have four really great teams. And that's what matters. The product is what matters. And the product, a testament to these players and coaches, is so good right now. And Kelly, that's exactly why, like even the NC State-UConn game last night, I I hope people understand what you just said because it should be really a celebration of the performance of the student-athletes and the coaches and the environment and all that last night. I mean, it was big time last night. It was great. It was prime time. And both teams delivered. And I know there's going to be NC State fans are bummed out about losing. I get all that. And they're going to talk about the, where it was played. But, yeah, it was played in Connecticut. But the quality of the game is what you sell, right? I mean, it's that. It's not the icing. It's the cake. The cake last night was the game. It was that mm-hmm. good. And was it a shame that it was played in Connecticut? Yeah, but guess what? 
we'll take a step back. And in some respects, the, the way that game was played, the level that it was played, the, the 26 lead changes, the 18 ties, the quality of both programs, the coaches, the players stepping up, making plays. Maybe that game, because of where it was played, may eventually turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to women's basketball, as opposed to now looking upon it as, man, what a bummer that NC State had to put up with it. Yeah, but you know what? Eventually, maybe that is exactly the game that was needed for the women's game to truly get equality, and that is play these games at neutral sites. Yes, and that was technically a neutral site in Bridgeport. It's not like they played in stores, but... It is to have something that's, I don't know, Connecticut's a little teeny tiny state. 50 miles from stores is really not fair considering where NC State is. But I completely agree, Pac. I think that game last night was such a showcase for this sport and how good it's become. And look, the games like that, in the past 10 years, we've gotten more of them in the NCAA tournament, but they almost always come in the Final Four. I think the fact that that game happened in the Elite Eight, despite the draw, shows how much the game is growing and how many more programs are stepping up and becoming elite. And that's a very good sign that you're going to have these type of competitive instant classics in the elite eight that normally you only get those in the final four because there's only four teams that can put on a show like that. But now we have more of those and that's huge. And you look at the upsets in the tournament this year, it's been an exceptional tournament and we're going to have a great final four. But if you look at the positive, you normally don't get that kind of game in an elite eight. And I think it just speaks to the depth and, and the growth of the women's game as well. All right, catching a break in the Twin Cities. Uh, AccuWeather forecast here on Packer and Durham. Uh, Friday, high 49, low 34. Saturday, high 50, low 28. Sunday, 49 and 31. I mean, that that's that's balmy, Pack, in all honesty, right? I think balmy, Kelly, would be the way I'd go with it. I'm I'm concerned. Um, I, I will, my parka, I thought I was done with for the year. It's 49. Uh, I I don't know. That's scary. That it's spring. It's supposed to be spring. I don't know what that's about, but I hear that Minneapolis is a great town. So I'm excited to see it and I will do my best to stay indoors. Use the the sky bridges, I guess. It's 49. It sounds It's 49. It could be 19. Just do us a favor. Before you leave for Minneapolis, water the fake plant behind you to make sure it's still alive when you get back. Yeah, water the fake plant, please. Oh, we'll make sure that the fake plant's okay. All right. Be well. Thank you, as always. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Kelly Gramlich, part of our ACC Network women's basketball coverage. That group will be in, uh, in Minneapolis. For, we're enjoying uh, that. We were in Minneapolis uh, a couple years ago. Yeah. For the nice men's time. side. Good side. When we come back, another look at the top shots and some of your thoughts. Oh, didn't you mention Luke May? He's not on my list. He's not on your list. No. Yeah, we're catching some heat on that one. All right. 40 years ago today, Michael Jordan. <laughs> Unbelievable. 30 years ago yesterday, Christian Leitner. Biggest shots in ACC history next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Doherty to Black. The tie, 18. Shot, Jordan. Michael Jordan, 14 seconds. Brown. Look for it. Look for Sleepy Floyd. Look. Oh, he threw it to the wrong man. And Georgetown 
announces that North Carolina has won the 1982 NCAA championship. Go today. How about that? It's just crazy. <laughs> we got jokes up there in 40 years ago today. And Leitner was 30 years ago yesterday. That's right. It's just, I mean, big shots in ACC history, right? So here's what we've done. We've cobbled together a list. Five of them, okay? I had seven. Um, of course. Because I had two honorable mentions. Because you don't follow directions. I don't. Not very well. Not on this case. I get caught up in too much stuff. All right. You used NCAA tournament only. Exclusively. There you go. Because it's March Madness. Here it is. My top five. ACC flavored. All right. ACC flavored. NCAA tournament big shots. Ready? Five. We're going wah, who, wah. The 19 run, which was unbelievable. The Akite. You kidding me? Ball bounced in the wrong direction. Virginia's Uh hopes in the toilet. Against Purdue, sorry. Diakite with the catch, the turn, the shot. We go OT. The rest is history. Number four, the biggest shot that no one ever talks about. Marcus Page against Nova in 16. Off balance. There he goes. Let's it go. Left-hander. Bang. Ties that thing up before Jenkins ruined everybody's life. Number three on the list. It's even better in video. Al McGuire, holy mackerel, James Force beats SC at the buzzer. Number two, you just saw it, 40-year anniversary. Michael Jordan, turned out to be a pretty good player, I hear. Number 23 <laughs> for the W right it worked there. worked out. A great basketball game, Georgetown, Carolina, down there in New Orleans. And number one, we celebrated it yesterday. Yeah. Christian Leitner, unstoppable against Kentucky. Been a tough week for the Wildcats on the show. Getting abused left and right. That's my number one. All NCAA tournament picks for me. All right, so there's Packers. Top five shots in ACC history. Okay, he goes NCAA tournament history for ACC schools. That's right. It's March Madness. I got two in the weeds on this. I went top five shots last 40 years. Austin Rivers to beat Carolina in Chapel Hill. That's pretty good. 2012, that was 10 years ago. And then I kind of kind of worked back from there. Ralph Sampson, senior game, U-Haul against Maryland. How many free throws are we going to miss with a chance to win the game? In fact, we're going to miss two. Craig Robinson, number 10 in the white, tips out. Ralph, the turnaround jumper, wins it. Last shot in U-Haul for Sampson. Virginia winner on senior day. Just that one popped in my mind. Same with 1974. I was second to back row Carmichael Auditorium. 8.17 seconds. This, like Jeff Capel's shot, got it to overtime, but Carolina won in double overtime. Uh, 1995, Randolph Childress. The leaner for the win in overtime against Carolina. You know about the scoring record in the ACC tournament. Uh, In my mind, one of the biggest moments in conference history. And number one... How we agreed on this. Leitner against Kentucky at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Great call by Vern Lundquist. Terrific radio call by Bob Harris for Duke and Christian Leitner 30 years later. I got some honorable mentions, though. Packer even liked the fact I put Greg Buckner's dunk against Carolina in the ACC yeah, tournament if we're, if 96 we're just in there. Do ACC games, Buckner would have been number one. Kidding me? Jumped right out of a bed when I saw that. Yeah. Marvin Williams. 2005 game at Smith Center in Chapel Hill. Uh, I just got a text. Jeff Denny, 
And Scott Williams, you know those guys, played at Carroll. Scott's been on the program. He has been. Brooks has played golf with Jeff Denny. He's a stick, by the way, Denny. They both agree and wanted to share. They think Lorenzo Charles is either one or two on the list. The dunk. Yeah. I, I get it. I do. I get it. I mean, everybody, you can come up with your own list. I mean, I mean that's it. This is all subjective. You can, I mean, you can tag us, by the way, uh, and many have. And I will tell you this, that uh, AJ, Tar, at Tar Heel AJ, says, how do we leave out Luke May's shot to beat Kentucky in 17? I didn't have a problem leaving it out. <laughs> I mean, but again, you, this is your own list. Yeah. Um, you, know, there's, you want me to knock out Marcus Page and put in Luke May? Would that make everybody I, happy? You know, that I, how I agree with you. I mean, they're just – here's one. Uh, at TB Fiske underscore six, Darius Maddox against Clemson, the ACC tournament. No question. No question. Um, Michael Snare against Duke from uh, at KC Knoll. Yep. No question. I didn't do any ACC games. I know. That was my mistake. I went down this rabbit hole, kids, and it wasn't – and all of a sudden I got ahead of myself again. You know why? Because I start thinking about, oh, you can't leave that out. No, your oh, list you is good. But I, I, my mindset was – again, this is why people always go, oh, you guys compare your list. We never compare our no, list. No, no, no. Uh, but when I saw the, the assignment, the first thing I thought of was March Madness. Yeah. And Lorenzo Charles was on my short list. Yeah. It was. But, but I was thinking the dunk shots – it was in the yeah. moment. It was a moment. But for the shot, it was a dunk. Yeah. Greg Buckner's dunk, though. 96. I ACC said if I included term, ACC games, yeah, it'd have been number that one would have been you. my number one. Yeah, absolutely. Personally. Yeah. With the pom-poms and the diploma. In the That's back. it, yeah. Offset that missed shot by Trey Rollins in 75 in the semifinals. Yeah, but Buckner got fouled, too. I mean, yeah, the he did. They and won. You didn't get the whistle. I mean, Clemson fans still complain yeah. about the, the ACC refs again. Didn't yeah. matter. We won the game, though. Yeah. As Brian Ives just reminded me, you won the game. Score Don't worry board. about it. Yeah, score but, board. you know, again, never get a call. Uh, good thing about Duke and Carolina this time playing in New Orleans at the Final Four is Mark's not going to invade Nina King's driveway for parking. She did a great job hosting. She did. You know? That's right. Yeah, she did. Marvelous job uh, hosting our little uh, second screen. We'll talk to Nina about the trip to New Orleans, her role in the Women's Basketball Championship, and more coming up next. Power Hour on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham.